Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. You ever find yourself just wondering things? Someone told me this week and uh, this fact I'm about to share with you, and now when... um, when I'm not doing anything or there's a few moments pass by, this thought will just arrest my attention. And the thought is this, your tongues rest on the roof of your mouth, not on the bottom of your mouth. How many of you are just <laughs> evaluating whether or not that's true? Am I the only one that thinks that's weird? It rests on the roof, not on the top. And you would think gravity at some point, Mike, help us out. You would think at some point it, would, it should rest on the bottom, right? I don't know, but is it, it's true. It rests on the top of your mouth, not on the bottom. This is the kind of stuff I think about. I wonder about things. I was wondering about this fact. All right, come on back. Let's fully transition back. I wonder about this, why there's so many of us who profess the name of Jesus, who are followers of Christ, but in many ways, we are just as selfish, messed up, and broken as anyone else. I wonder about that. How does this happen? Why does this happen? Why is it that us as followers of Jesus Christ, those of you who have decided at some point in your life that you are going to follow after Jesus, that your life seems just as broken and messed up as anyone else's life? How does that happen? It's interesting because all of us, if you are a human being, we are made in the image of whom? We are made in the image of God. Therefore, All human beings, on one level or another, we reflect God and we have a certain amount of wisdom in our mind and in our hearts and in our conscience. And so whether you believe in God or not, whether you're a follower of God or not, you are a reflection in part of the image of God. Now, as much as all this is true, we are still, as Christians, as followers, we're filled with selfishness, we're filled with pride, we're filled with our own sin. And really, this is the whole premise of the gospel, is that we're not saved by being a better version of ourselves. We are not followers of Jesus Christ because somehow in our life, we've attained a level of spirituality that previously was unavailable. We are not followers of Jesus Christ because somehow we learned the secret prayer that allowed us access to God that previously was unavailable. We're followers of Jesus Christ because of what God has done, not us. Aren't you glad that it has nothing to do with our ability to earn a relationship with Jesus Christ? Titus tells us in Titus chapter 3, it's not works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. And so there's so many people who profess faith and have these beliefs and are followers, but at some point, it doesn't show up in our life practically. We believe that Jesus is Lord, 
And yet in our lives, it's really hard to see the practical effects of our faith taking shape. And so this is why we have, our, we have this series, this focus, because we want to help develop strong spiritual habits. We want us to be able to do so. Now, as the beginning of our discussion, we want to rest here on this thought that spiritual habits that we're going to talk about are the bridge between what we believe and our character. Spiritual habits are going to be the bridge between our beliefs and our character. To start, I want you to look at the end of your notes. Look at the end of your notes. There's a couple of things on that back page I want to bring your attention to. There is uh, the last thing on your notes is this week's prayer. So we have a prayer designed to kind of help center our thoughts based on what we discussed today. But then right about that, we have a section called what? Help me out. Next steps. Because today's message and every single message really on a Sunday morning doesn't end at whatever time we say the final amen. There's no end to these messages because the whole goal of looking at Scripture and teaching it and getting a practical understanding is so somehow we can figure out how to put this in our daily life. And if you go to church and clock in and clock out at noon and live the rest of your life without giving thought to what's happened at the gathering of saints and worshipers on Sunday morning, then we are doing a very poor job living out our faith, right? So what are your next steps? So Every Sunday in this series, we're going to give you some suggestions for your next steps. We talked a little bit about this last Sunday, where some of these steps are going to be uh, for, for, beginning, uh, for people that are beginning in this part of your faith. So today's message is all about worship. What does it look like to worship God? So there are, if this is a new idea for you, and you've never prioritized worship in your life, then there are some suggestions in here that are going to be really beginning uh, beginning level suggestions for you to practically apply worship in your life. There's some suggestions in here that are more designed for people that are more mature in this part of your life. If worship has always been a priority for you, then I need you to avoid those simple steps, right? And really prioritize some of those other steps. For instance, let's look at the list real quick. The first, list, first one on this list says this. Next step, number one, prioritize gathering with the church on Sunday mornings corporately. If you've been in every church service since you're four years old at this church, this is not your next step, right? Right? I need you to skip down to the next one. And if that one doesn't apply to you <clears throat> because it's something that doesn't challenge your faith, then I need you to go to the next one. I need you to find the step that challenges your faith, recognizing that we're all in different parts of our faith, right? Right? Some of us are more mature than others in this area of our faith. And so when it comes to worship, after the message, you're going to have an opportunity to think through, okay, what's my next step? Which one of these am I going to prioritize or am I going to focus on? And then we'll have a prayer to help you walk through it. So to begin this morning, we're in Psalm chapter 95, Psalm chapter 95, verse 1. We're going to read the entire psalm together, all right? We're going to read it out loud together, and this psalm really helps us focus our hearts and our time and our energy on what it looks like to live a life of worship. So let's read it together, Psalms chapter 95, beginning in verse 1. Ready, begin. O come, 
Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The height of the mountains are all his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." Psalms 95 in Latin is known as the Venite, which simply means come. It's a hymn of praise, and it begins with this declaration in verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Now, if you want your beliefs to actually produce character, they have to be driven in your heart through spiritual habits that engage a whole person's person. We're talking about the mind, the will, and the emotions. And unless a spiritual habit can arrest these three parts of our world, they'll be, they won't be driven deep enough into our, into our faith. Unless we're skillful, regular, continuous, engaged followers of Jesus Christ, at some point, there'll be a disconnect in our faith. Now, without spiritual habits, without strong spiritual habits, this is what happens. We are going to be, at best, inconsistent, or at worst, a hypocrite. Let's talk about this for a second. Without strong spiritual habits, we're going to be, at best, inconsistent, or at worst, a hypocrite. Now, if we are being honest, how many of you would say at different points in your life, you have been either inconsistent or a hypocrite, right? So to be inconsistent means that you have adopted something in your life, a spiritual habit in your life, and you were, you were on fire the moment that you heard about it and you decided to put it in place, and then something happened by the two or three days in, or maybe a week in, or two weeks in, and the next thing you know, you just found yourself um, being inconsistent in that discipline or that habit. You, you decide, well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to figure out what it looks like to pray. So I'm going to pray every morning. And your alarm goes off the first time that you did it, and it says prayer, and you pray. And the next morning you did it, you hit pray. And the next morning you did it, and you prayed. And the next morning you saw it, and you hit snooze. Right? And nine minutes later, it, it, the alarm came up. About that time, you're already brushing your teeth. You're already getting ready for the day. And you say, well, I, I'm going to change the alarm to noon because I'm going to do it at noon. 
I'll do it at lunch because my day's already started and I can't stop, right? And then noon comes and you pray. And then you thought, oh, this is better. I actually like doing it at noon more than in the morning. And then the next day it comes at noon and you're good. And the next morning you're going out to lunch with people and your reminder comes up and you just kind of drop the ball again, right? So without strong spiritual habits that are, that are deep into our mind, our will and our emotions, we become at best inconsistent. And what happens when you have an inconsistent habit in your life? Well, you don't get the results that you would normally get if you were uh, consistent. But the other thing that happens is we talked a little bit about, about last week. We don't see progress when we think we should. We begin to sabotage our success. Do you remember those things that we talked about, why we don't have strong spiritual habits? And then the other side of the pendulum, we're going to be at best inconsistent or at worst a hypocrite. So this, this, this happens when you... When you say you're going to pray, and then you take no intentional step in your life to encourage that strong spiritual habit, but you want to do it really well, you just never decide to apply that spiritual habit, and now when someone tells you about the fact that they're having a struggle in prayer, in your own mind, you're judging them because you have this strong desire of prayer even though you haven't done anything about it. And now you're looking down at them out of hypocrisy. So there has to be a way, there has to be um, a design that helps us develop these strong spiritual habits. So these, these spiritual habits are the bridge between our beliefs and our character. And just because we believe something doesn't mean it'll play out in our life through character. We have to have habits that get us there. And without those habits, we're going to be at best inconsistent or at worst a hypocrite. So what is worship? Let's start there. Worship is ascribing ultimate value while engaging the heart, the mind, and the will. That's what we're talking about. We want to ascribe ultimate value while engaging all of these parts of our body, our, our person, I should say, the heart, the mind, and the will. Worship isn't worship until it gauges, engages the whole body. Now, if you are trying to build a road, let's say you're trying to build a road, and there's a massive boulder in the way in the path of the road, um, you would not take the explosives and put it up against the front of that boulder. If you did that and you were to ignite those explosives, you might, res uh, you might re uh, remove maybe the face of that boulder. You might make a lot of sound, but you would probably not move that boulder. What you would have to do is you would have to dig a small hole through the center of that boulder, right? And you'd have to get it right into the middle of that boulder. You would have to pack that hole that you've created in this giant boulder with the explosives. And because you've done it so deep, because you've got to the center of that boulder, then when you ignite the explosives, now the boulder is able to be removed, destroyed from the inside out. And so for us... If we just believe, but we're not doing all of these things to engage our whole person, we're trying to worship when we're not accomplishing everything because we're not digging deep enough. So, emotions, our mind, and our will. Think back to the verses we just read. 
Think back to the first couple of verses. We're not going to put them on the screen, but look at your notes there. We're told to worship joyfully with emotions. Look at first, the first verse. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let's come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise to him. Um, now, if this was an accurate representation of the type of noise that you would produce on a Sunday morning worship service, um, what would be the word in your case? Would it be a monotone noise to him? Would it be a um, barely audible noise to him with song of praise? Would it be um, um, an Eeyore noise to him? Right? There is clear emotion from the psalmist encouraging us to make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So we're going to worship here in a moment, right? Not in a moment. I don't want to get your hopes up. It's going to be a longer message than that. Um, when we get back to worship again, I'm just going to challenge you to smile while you worship. And see how that affects the rest of your emotions while you sing. The psalmist says we've got to be doing it with our emotions. But he goes on, look down in your notes to verse 6. He tells us to worship with our will, submissively with our will. He says, oh, come, let us worship, and what does he tell us to do? Bow down. He says, come, let us worship and bow down. What's the very next command in verse 6? Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He says, I want you to willfully get in a position where you're submitting I want you to willfully put your body in a position that you have to be vulnerable, that you have to submit your will. I challenge you to do this this week, is to find a time, and if your knees can't handle it, maybe just sit down on a floor and worship from a vulnerable position. If you can't get up from when you're sitting down, please don't do that. In fact, if I could have a couple of people to help me real quick. Nope, I got it. The psalmist is very clear. You got to be doing it with your emotions, but also with your will. He says to kneel down, to bow down. We have a really, really um, inaccurate view of what the psalmist is saying when we think about worship as just standing and singing. The psalmist is asking us to engage our whole mind, our body, our emotions, our will. He says to bow, to kneel. He also addresses the heart. Skip down and look at verse 7. He says this, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, voice verse 8, don't harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. See, what happens is this, is when, when, we, when we allow God's value to permeate the depths of our heart, our mind, our will, we'll embrace the reality that the psalmist is embracing, that he is the rock of our salvation, that he is a great God, a great king, that he is above all gods. 
the Lord, our Maker. Now, some of you are beginning your faith journey, and you say, well, I don't know. I'm just not ready to worship. Well, I, I, I bring you a dose of reality. Everyone worships. And we will either be worshiping God or you will be worshiping something else. Think back to uh, the Israelites. They leave Egypt. Moses is trying to set up a successful society for them. And in Exodus chapter 20, God gives Moses a list of primary values and commands that will help govern this successful society. And these values, these commands, these um, exhortations from God himself, there's 10 of them, right? And we call them the 10 commandments. Let me read to you how they begin. It says this, God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. slavery. You must not have any other God before me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or image of anything in heaven or in earth or in the sea. You must not bow to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other God. I lay the sin of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the fourth and third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You know, the first command that he gives is you shouldn't have any other gods. No other gods. Because God knew that if for us as humans, if we did not worship God, we would put our affection on other things and we would worship other things. If we don't worship what's divine, we'll worship what's mundane. If we don't worship what is eternal, we will worship what is temporary. And God knew this. So before he says, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't murder, before he says any of that, he says this, I need you to worship me and me alone. The word worship is uh, the origination, some scholars believe, is from a phrase, worth shape. Worth shape. It carries the idea that we are shaped by the worth of something. It's to look at something and say that this item, this person, this, this thing in my life is so valuable and so important that I am being shaped by the worth of this thing. And so in so many different ways, worship or ascribing God ultimate value through our mind, our will, and emotions, this spiritual habit is a preliminary spiritual habit that will help you engage your mind, will, and emotions on the rest of their spiritual habits. It'll help you figure out how to pray. It'll help you figure out spiritual friendships. It'll help you figure out meditation and diving into his word. Now, one of the caveats or one of the um, inclusions that the psalmist makes here in Psalms 95 is this idea that we are to worship corporately. You look at Psalm 95 again. We're not going to put it up on the screen, but just look at the words again. It doesn't say, let me worship. Oh, come, let me worship. 
There's a strong, um, a strong sense that the psalmist is calling his people to worship. It's let us worship. Let us come together. All throughout the psalm, it is this imperative that we are do, to do this worship together. I think probably once every week or so, I have a conversation with someone, and it goes something like this. I, I, I totally believe in God, and, and, I, and I, I, just, I just worship on my own. Almost every week of my life, I have a conversation with someone, and this is the components of the conversation are this. Yes, I believe in God. I'm going to choose to worship on my own. And maybe you're watching online, and this is, this is the mode that you have adopted since about three years ago. When our world was shut down and all of a sudden we didn't have many options and we were trying to figure out how to be healthy, how to be responsible, and so we provided this opportunity for people to worship virtually. And as your pastor, I can tell you, I did not want to give this option to you. Because for a lot of people, it is an easy on-ramp into checking out a church, being comfortable with the church before they ever walk in the doors. But I've also found in the last number of years, it is an easy off-ramp for people to fail to worship together. And so maybe you say, well, I'm going to worship alone, I'm going to worship in nature. I would love to encourage you as your pastor to challenge yourself with what Scripture is imploring you to do and not with what you feel. I'm not saying you can't worship at home. There's a time and a place for that. We'll talk about a whole other spiritual habit in the coming weeks about meditation and solitude and what that looks like in your life. But to be clear, the emphasis of Scripture is we are called to worship physically together. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it is our call to worship together. You are called to be accountable to one another. You are called to have people in your life that you can encourage, that you can encourage with, that you can sing with, that you can pray with, that you can go out to lunch with, that you can be accountable to. We are called to do this thing together physically. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, and I was listening to a sermon a few months ago um, and the, and, the, and, the, and the gentleman who was preaching the sermon referenced C.S. Lewis in this quote, and I just thought it was so beautiful. C.S. Lewis in one of his books says this, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. He says this, Now that my friend Charles has died... I will never again see Ronald's reactions to a Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald to myself, now that Charles is gone, in reality, I have less of Ronald. We possess, C.S. Lewis says this, we possess each friend not less, but more as the number of those with whom we share him increases. 
It's in his book called The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis. What is C.S. Lewis saying? He's saying this. He had these friends, right? Let's call them friend A and friend B so that you can identify who these friends are in your life. He says, I have this friend and I have this friend. And what I found in my life is that when all three of us were present, I got a more full picture of every one of us because we were all fully engaged. And at some point, Charles died. Person A died. And C.S. Lewis thought, my goodness, I'm going to have, while I grieve the passing of my very close friend here, I now have more of this friend. I have more access. I have more time. I have more of his energy. And what he found to be true is that he actually had less of this friend because he would never have this friend's reaction and perspective when this friend spoke. There's some of us that just that, that fail to engage when we talk about the church and gathering and whether it's joining a church or whether it's a, a, a attending a church physically or whether it's taking whatever step of life, whether it's joining a Bible study. Our men's Bible study is going to start in a few weeks and uh, our ladies will have an option soon in a few weeks as well. And maybe there's just a disconnect and there's a hesitation to engage on another level of vulnerability. And you think to yourself, well, if there's less of us, then we actually have more. And for some of you, you think if you try to break through and try to put yourself in this vulnerable position, you're going to lose some of yourself. And might I encourage you with this, you're going to gain more fuller sense of who you are in God's view by being around God's people than you would have than by excluding yourself. I hate to admit it to you, but I need you. I need you. I need a fellowship with people. And here is the opposite and equally beautiful thing. You all need me. We need each other. We need the body of believers to show up physically. Now, for those of you watching online, I need you to know how much I love you. And how much we're willing to wait for you. Because I don't know the hurt and the wound that you have experienced that prevents you from fellowshipping with other Christians physically in a church. And so I don't want to dismiss that hurt. I don't want to dismiss that wound. But what I am saying is there's a time and a place. And when that time and a place makes itself abundantly clear to you, because the Holy Spirit is telling you to show up, by God's grace, we will have a safe place for you to show up. And we look forward to that day. If you're here in our church and you say, well, I haven't taken this step or I haven't, I haven't taken this step in my faith or I haven't taken that step in my faith. And Daniel, it sounds like you really are, 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 are forcing me into a quarter. Please understand my heart. I'm trying to be honest and remind you what scriptures are saying. But be clear, we're willing to wait. We're willing to wait for you until this is a safe place for you to take your next step. But we are to worship corporately. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, don't neglect the gathering of the saints. We are to encourage and uh, spur one another on to good works. We're to encourage one another in this way. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the value is clear. We're to worship. 
And I'm so grateful for the opportunity that God has given us on this property to worship physically in a safe place that allows us to give glory to God together. Now, here's the thing. In a vacuum, without the support of brothers and sisters, we get a distorted view of who Jesus is. We can potentially, let me say that, we can potentially get a distorted view of who Jesus is because we're designed to do this thing together. What did we just read in the book of Acts? From Acts chapter 2, verse 42 They decided as soon as they understood what it meant to be followers of Jesus Christ, they said this, we are going to dig into this thing and we're going to do it together. And I'm so grateful for the opportunities we have to do so because when we do it together, we end up getting a fuller picture of who God is because we're doing this together. Um, A recent study came out that said 80% of Americans say that you can be a good church. Yeah, I'm sorry. 80% of Americans say that you can be a good Christian and not go to church. I have no idea what they mean by being a good Christian. But I can tell you this. I don't know what the statistics should be, but I can tell you what the encouragement from Scripture is this. We're to worship corporately. We're to do this together. There's a gift that comes when you worship corporately, by the way, in our church. Um, in our church, we have a, a leadership structure where we are, are led by a group of elders. We're a group, we're led by uh, our elders. And uh, if you are a faithful, regular attender of our Sunday morning gathering, more than likely you have received notification on who your elder is. How many of you have gotten notification or you know who your elder is? Let me see your hands. Good. If you don't know who your elder is and you, and you would like to know on your Connect card, just write down the word elder, and uh, when you return it in our boxes, I'll make sure that your elder contacts you this week. And if you have not been assigned one of our elders, then I'll make sure we do so. Our elders are designed to provide spiritual oversight for our church, and we're to help lead, to guide, to guard, and to, uh, to, uh, to teach in our church. And so our elders provide this role in our church, and when you when you decide to become a part of a church family, and ours in particular, what we do is we ask our elders to, to pray over a group of families regularly in their life. We ask them to check in on those, elder, on those families. We ask them to provide and to uh, make the church aware of any needs that are happening in those families based on what those elders' relationship reveals in those people's hearts. Not every church is set up they that way, but we're fortunate enough to do so. I think um, the beauty of a church like ours is we're just big enough to be able to do a lot of things for our church family, and we're just also small enough to prioritize relationships. So I want to encourage you, when you come to church, you're coming for the benefit of yourself, but you're also coming because there's other people that will be encouraged. There's other people that we're, uh, that we're, uh, that we're doing this together with, And if we come to church without prioritizing the gathering, we're going to have the potential to have this unhealthy view of one another. Shirley was telling me a story this morning before church. How many of you knew there was a fire at Whistler's Bend yesterday? Yeah. And um, I don't know the extent of the damage. Someone told me it might have been an acre uh, that was on fire. Um, Shirley had a moment um, where 
uh, she did not know that the fire was happening. Is that right, Shirley? They said it was moving fast and it had to get out. And uh, so then what happened next? I'm going to tell the, you tell me and I'll tell the church. Shirley's a quarter of a mile from Whistler's Bend Park. There's a fire going on. She's been asked to evacuate. Someone comes down to the driveway. She's backing out of her driveway. She doesn't know where to go. She checks on her neighbor. She goes out of the driveway and she gets a voicemail from John Hooper. John Hooper is uh, Shirley's elder, and John Hooper was checking in, giving instructions, making sure she was taken care of. Um, yeah, that's how the church is supposed to function. That's how the church is supposed to function. And what we rob one another of if we just show up on Sunday morning and we don't engage, and again, I'm not pushing you to do, take that step if you're not ready for it, but when you're ready and the Holy Spirit tells you you should take another step, um, just listen to the Holy Spirit. And when you, when, when, when you fail to, uh, to have those relationships, we are, we are trying to protect ourselves when in reality it's what strengthens us. Those relationships are what strengthen us. Allow yourself to be vulnerable for in this space gives you uh, permission and it gives your heart and your soul a bandwidth of people that allow you to protect yourself. That's how the sp- church is supposed to function. I want to bring one final point to you this morning as we wrap up Psalm 95, and that's this. Worship reflects our rest. Worship reflects our rest. The first seven verses of Psalm 95 make sense, and then you get to verse 8, and you're like, wait, what's he talking about? Verse 8 says this, don't harden your hearts as in Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, there are people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. The part of that, the last part of Psalm 95 is an incident. The psalmist is referencing an incident that happened in the history of Israel. They were wandering in the wilderness. They had everything they uh, needed with them. But I want you to picture the children of Israel. They've just left Egypt. They now are one million plus sojourners through a wilderness. Moses is their guide. And every day or so, uh, the, everything they owned, they had to carry to the next campsite. How many of you actually enjoy camping, by the way? Now, my understanding of camping is um, you go and you find a spot, you reserve a spot, and you set up camp, right? And it's quite a bit of work, right? Depending on your level of camping, uh, you have to set up the tent, and you have to set up where you're going to put your, the food items. And if you brought one of those things, uh, you know, outdoor uh, cooking things, I, you can tell I don't do this very often. <laughs> You got to set up your kitchen area. You got to set up where you're going to have your campfire and you got to set up this. How enjoyable would camping be if you had to pack up everything every morning and go to your next site? You think about the children of Israel and for 40 years, they lived in this perpetual wandering. 
So not only did they have to walk and sojourn for 40 years, but every morning they had to gather all their things together, all of their supplies, round up their kids, and pack up only to just set up camp another night. So they had to do this over and over and over again. And what they really just wanted, you remember the stories of the children of Israel? Um, they started reminiscing about their days in Egypt. Like, man, it was so good to be in Egypt. It was so good. We had leeks and cucumbers and all of these. It was just so good. Remember? You know what they were remembering? They didn't have to move every morning. They got to rest. And all they really wanted in the wilderness was rest. They wanted to get to the promised land where they could sit and settle down and have a garden. And they could have farms and they could till the land and they could build homes and not tents. And when they were in the wilderness, they were burdened and weary because every morning they had to get up and every morning they had to put their entire life on their back and carried it. And what happened in Exodus 17 is the story that's reflect or that's um that's referenced at the end of psalm 95 is this story where they got impatient with god and they decided not to listen to the voice of god hebrews 4 also talks about it but the whole incident is symbolic of this great burden and great rest and it's still a problem with you and i where we are still burdened by carrying our whole lives with us every single day and so we carry our guilt and we carry our shame and we carry our works and we carry the list of things we think we should be doing to be a good christian and we carry that on our own shoulders and we carry the burden of being good parents and we carry the burden of being a good follower and we carry the burden of being a good employee and every single day we just carry that with us and we think that if 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 we can manage to to pack our burdens just right that we can get through the week and then on Sunday we come and we rest on Sunday for about two and a half hours and then Sunday afternoon Monday comes calling, right? And Monday comes calling and you think, oh man, I got to do this all over again. So you pick up the pieces of your burdens and you start to put them on your back again and you approach life with the same view that the children of Israel did. And what God wants us to reflect is this. When we live with worship as a part of our daily life, it's a reflection that we're resting in Him that we're not going to carry our burdens every single day anymore. We're not going to carry our guilt anymore. We're not going to carry our shame anymore. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to say, praise the name of the Lord. He is my rock. He is my salvation. He is a great God. And today I'm going to worship him. It's the word of grace in Psalm 95, and that's this. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came, that he died, that he paid a penalty for our sins. He came and he suffered. He was buried. He rose again, and he did so so we could rest. We could rest from the pressure of trying to be good enough. We could rest from the pressure of measuring up. In our inability or refusal to live lives of worship controls every part of our life. And yet when we worship, we submit and we yield and we rest. I want to close with a story that Tim Keller used to tell that kind of just describes what 
worship is supposed to do in our lives. And he describes a woman who was given a brooch or a piece of jewelry. And like any piece of jewelry that's been gifted in that moment, it was significant. And then over the years, she just forgot about it. And she took that brooch and she took that piece of jewelry and she, she put it on a shelf with her other pieces of jewelry. And pretty soon as life went on, she accumulated other pieces of jewelry. And the, uh, the, the old brooch or piece of jewelry that was gifted by a family member just lost significance. And because it was out of sight, it was out of what? She forgot about it. And she goes on through her life and Every so often she would think, oh, where's that brooch? Where's that piece of jewelry? Where's that? And she would go and she'd find, she wouldn't use it, but she just remind herself that she still had it. And one day she thinks, my, I should go check to see if this is worth anything. Maybe it's worth something. She takes the piece of jewelry and she goes to the jeweler and um, I know about as much about jewelry as I do about camping, so bear with me on the story. Um, <laughs> She takes that piece of jewelry and gives it to the jeweler right, and the jeweler gets his eye thingy right, and he starts looking at it, and he, and he starts looking at it some more, and he goes, well, would you just wait a minute? And he goes into the back, where I imagine there's a bigger eye thingy right, and he's... <laughs> he's looking at this piece of jewelry and he's taking a closer look, and he's examining it. And he goes online, and he, he verifies some information, and, and, he, and he can't believe it, so he goes back and looks at the piece again, and he comes out and tells the lady, it'll just be another couple minutes, just bear with me. And she's looking at other fancy jewelries, and he goes back in and looks again and does some research and calls jeweler buddies of his to confirm what he's looking at and he looks at and he comes out and he recognizes that this is a piece of jewelry that's been lost in history and in his 25 years of doing this he's never seen a piece of jewelry worth as much as this single piece there's beads of sweat on his forehead he's kind of taken aback Let's pause the story real quick. What's happening right there? He's being shaped by its what? Value. You see what happened there? He's being shaped by his val the value. Resume the story. He goes out, and here's this lady, and she's looking at pieces of jewelry and wondering if she can get a couple of hundred dollars of it for it, right? We'll press pause one more time. What's he about to do? To her, he's about to evangelize her. He's about to tell her the good news, brother, of what he has found, right? So he goes out and he says, lady, you don't understand what's happened. Let me tell you a story of this piece of jewelry. And he starts telling the story of years ago of where this piece of jewelry was in history and and what its worth was and what its significant was, significance it has. And at the time that she's hearing this story, she was holding a necklace that was encased in the jeweler. And as he's 
telling the story, what seemed so valuable in her hands, what? Isn't so valuable anymore. She lets that go. Her attention is arrested by what the jeweler is saying. And he says, you have no idea how this is going to what? Change your life. And you know what she does? She grabs that brooch. She goes home. And she tosses it on the bureau just like before. No. That'd be a silly story, wouldn't it? That'd be ridiculous. You would say, no, no, wait, she, no, that's not how the story goes. Because that doesn't make any sense. Why would they have something of such worth, of such value, and just pretend like it never existed? Here's, here's God, and the psalmist is just simply saying, we're going to ascribe value to God with our mind, our emotions, and our will. And if you dig deep enough and you place God's value deep enough in your mind, your heart, and your will, your life will never be the same. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.